So uh, this season, we have been in a series. Not yet. We're going to do those later. So you go with Mrs. Griner, okay? All right. She was thinking about uh, God sightings later on. We'll get to that in a minute. So, all right. So for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called uh, My Life Verse. And uh, during the series, we've been having five different preachers, pastors, and uh, our seminary student, Ted uh, Fisher, share a key passage of Scripture that has helped them or helped shape them uh, throughout their life. And for some of us, uh, the life verse that immediately comes to mind, like mine, I'll share in a moment, is our confirmation verse. But actually, this week, I was talking with some of our staff, and we were sharing our life verses. And I would say about half of them uh, either weren't confirmed, didn't grow up in the Lutheran church, or don't remember their confirmation verse, or for some other reason, another key passage of Scripture has kind of stood out to them. Uh, and for some of us, what we've also discovered is we don't necessarily have just one life verse, but we may have one that's a more permanent one and others that come in different seasons. So, uh, for example, right after seminary, I was really attached to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I had that as a tagline on all my emails for about 10 years. And more recently, uh, the harvest is already ready, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest from Matthew chapter 9. That has been pressed upon me for the last few years. So however you come about choosing a life verse, a key passage of scripture, our hope and our prayer is that you would grab a hold of one, make it your own, commit it to memory, and then see what God does in and through it. But today I'd like to share with you a passage of scripture that I've carried with me since I was a teenager, going back to the day of my confirmation. I look back in a photo album and I found this picture of my confirmation date and I can confirm on May 17th, 1998, my brother Quentin, he's the smaller one next to me and I were confirmed. Uh, here's another picture of the two of us that same year in high school. We had just finished some sort of basketball tournament and, uh, and had a little trophy there. My brother was a freshman that year and I was a junior at St. Matthew Lutheran School and Church where we both grew up along with the rest of my family. What had happened uh, about a year prior to starting high school is our church had shifted the confirmation program a little bit. We still had instruction during middle school years, but then they asked all of the kids who wanted to get confirmed to take a few other steps, including we had to go to the new member class, so we got to learn what all the others were teaching or being taught as they were joining the church. Uh, we had to do evangelism training. And had to go do evangelism calls in the neighborhood. So I did that my junior year of high school. And then um, we had to write a few essays uh, to talk about our faith and why it mattered. We had to meet with a board of directors and the board of elders and then one-on-one -on -one with the pastor. And then after that, when we were ready, with our parents' involvement, we were ready to be confirmed. So uh, for most kids who were attentive to details and wanted to get things uh, wrapped up, they would do this during their maybe freshman year or their sophomore year. As I said, for me, I waited until my junior year. Because this next picture kind of shows a little bit more about what my high school years were like. This is my best friend, Seth, and we just like to have fun. We were enjoying what it meant to be teenagers in a pre-digital era, so we didn't have phones or computers. I mean, they were just starting to be invented, so uh, we would hang out and go for walks around town. This was after, apparently, a basketball game, and we thought it'd be fun to have uh, some of those pom-poms on our head. But um, uh, let me just say it this way. I was more interested in the fun that Seth and I were having than I was in getting confirmed. And I also was a little concerned that if I met with the pastor and the board of elders, if they probed too deeply, they might find some stuff I was doing that uh, might prevent me from getting confirmed. 
nothing too crazy, kind of normal high school boy stuff, but I was nervous. So maybe that's part of why I put it off. Um, but I also remember this vividly. As I was getting ready for those interviews, I had this thought. If I tell them that I'm thinking about being a pastor, they won't ask any hard questions. <laughs> right? Now, this, this didn't come out of nowhere. All throughout my childhood, uh, the people at my home church, my pastor, my teachers, uh, and others in the congregation had always said, hey, Micah, maybe when you grow up, you should think about being a pastor. And honestly, I didn't think too much about it because in my opinion, they told everyone with a pulse they should think about going into church work. And so I didn't think too much about it. I was ready to go to Michigan State. I was going to study animal science. I was going to be a zoologist. I had it all figured out in my mind, right? And I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but, but I was nervous. And so I figured if I just slip that in, they won't ask the hard questions. I'll get confirmed and my life will go on. And here's the thing, it worked, right? I got confirmed and life went on, uh, but God used that in a way that eventually would bring me back to where I am today. So as part of my confirmation, uh, maybe this was true for you as well, I had to choose a verse that would be important to me. And here's the verse I chose from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And as best I can remember, I chose this because it had a lion in it, right? Like I said, I wanted to study animal intelligence, and uh, I found a verse that had a lion in it. And, and I don't remember any other reason why I picked that verse. I just thought it was pretty cool. Uh, but what I do remember is on my confirmation date, May 17th, the pastor unilaterally added this part to it. The first part of verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. I didn't choose that to be my confirmation verse, but that's what's officially on the certificate. That's what was read that service. And that's actually something that's come back to help me throughout the rest of my life. So maybe my pastor, uh, who knew me as a child growing up, went on actually not just to confirm me, but married Sarah and I, and then 15 years ago also ordained me into the pastoral ministry. Maybe he knew a thing or two that I hadn't quite figured out. Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, here's what I've come to learn. When I was baptized as a child, just a few weeks old, um, I had a circle, you might say, kind of drawn on my back. And then 15, 16 years later, however many it was when I was confirmed, like you see in this picture, it's almost like there was another uh, slightly smaller circle that was drawn inside of that. And then later on, when I decided to take even more uh, control and ownership of my faith, it's almost like that circle got colored in and all of a sudden I realized there was a target on my back for the attacks of the evil one for the temptations that come as part of living in a broken world and, and with a human body that sometimes is complicit in the thoughts, the words, the actions that Paul says, I know I shouldn't do, but I keep on doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And what I have come to realize, and maybe you have too, is that the Christian life and the journey that we are on is one in which there will always be trouble. There will always be struggle. There will always be attack. So what are we to do? How do we journey through life if we're walking around like this with a target on our back? Well, the first thing I would say is what we're experiencing isn't new. In fact, it's been 
the common experience of humans from the very beginning. Here in Genesis chapter 4, you may remember the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers who didn't get along, right? Ended badly, obviously, for Abel and for Cain. First murder recorded in Scripture. But before even that happened, when Cain was still just struggling with his frustration, anger, and jealousy, here's what God said to him. Cain, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. You see how that's similar to the, to the notion of a, a, a lion that's prowling? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way through the rest of Scripture, then we see this struggle play out where girls and boys and women and men who desire to honor God, who want to become more like Him, and yet at the same time they found themselves influenced by a world that is conspiring against God's best and with our own hearts and minds sometimes falling into that temptation. So how do we resist that crouching, lurking, prowling devil when we ourselves sometimes want to go along with it? How do we stand firm in the faith? Take a look at what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 12. Paul says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So what does this tell us? It tells us that sometimes those of us who know Jesus, seek to follow him, uh, will find ourselves at risk of falling away from the faith that God first called us to. When we've got that target on our back and the pressure is on, there is, there is times and there are occasions where we will slide away, where we'll uh, put, out, put away the spiritual practices that drew us close to God in the first place, where we'll put down our Bibles and not read it, where we'll uh, forget to pray, where we'll fall away from regular worship, where we'll stop putting into practice the, the posture of service and generosity that God has called us to. Even those who know and follow Jesus will sometimes, uh, when they're seeking to stand firm, uh, have the risk of falling. But it's not something we need to live in fear of for this reason. I love this verse 13. We're going to look at it in three parts, starting with the first sentence there. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Right? What, what Paul wants to make clear here is that the temptations we're experiencing, they may seem unique to us and new to us, but they're not actually all that common. Humans have been struggling in many of the same ways since the very beginning. And so if you think you're isolated and alone in your struggle, uh, what Peter and Paul want you to know is you're not. There are other girls and boys and women and men who have faced the same challenge, the same temptation. And so what the devil likes to do is convince you that you're alone. He likes to keep you isolated. He likes to distract, discourage, and divide God's people because he knows if we're off on our own, we're easier to pick off, just like a lion seeking prey on the prairie. And so the first thing Paul would have you do is whatever that struggle is, you're actually not alone. Whatever the temptation is, others have faced it too. And here's the second thing, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You see, you've got to keep in mind, who is the ultimate power in the world? The devil is on the loose, and he is prowling. He is seeking to distract, discourage, divide, and destroy. He's like a lion that is crouching and ready to pounce, but he does not have the ultimate power and authority. Remember, the devil himself actually personally tempted Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospels in Luke chapter 4, for example, where said, we're told that Jesus went off into the wilderness led by the Spirit and then he fasted for 40 days, so 40 days without anything to eat. And so at the end, you can imagine he was quite hungry. 
Right? I haven't had anything to eat except for half of a donut just now, and I can feel my stomach saying it's time to eat something. You know what it's like to be hungry, but imagine 40 days of hunger. He probably was close to the end of himself when the devil showed up and said, you know, Jesus, you just turn to the stone here and just say the word. You can turn it into bread. Right? Jesus, he was playing to Jesus' hunger, tempting him to use his power for his own selfish purposes. And you remember what Jesus did? He quotes Scripture. It says, man does not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil tempts him a second time and a third time, seeking to lure him, again, to use uh, his divine power for his own selfish purposes, to get power and authority over all things. And each and every time, how does Jesus evade the attack of the evil one? He uses Scripture and God's Word, right? You will never be tempted beyond what you can bear, and more than that, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you're about to do something you know you shouldn't do, and you're like, well, I can't help it, right? The actual fact is, you can. It may not be easy, because again, your own body and mind are conspiring against you, not to mention the pressure of the world and the devil himself outside of you. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is possible, because you will never be tempted beyond your ability to bear, and God will always provide you a way out. And one of the ways in which he provides you the way out is when you grab a hold of that word of Scripture, and you do so also in Christian community, remember, not isolated and alone, and together uh, you can say no to sin, and you can say yes to the words and ways of Jesus. And as you do, you stand firm in that faith to which you are called. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is always around you. He is prowling like a lion. The temptation will always be there up until the day that Jesus calls you home. But you need not fear him. For the lion of Judah, right, the conquering king, whose power is far greater than anything on this earth, even the devil himself, his power is in you. By the Spirit of God who dwells in you and by the power of his word that's in your hands, you can stand firm and you can remain faithful all the way to the end. Here's how Peter ends that from 1 Peter chapter 5. I love this blessing. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen.